Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, we have this mass exodus. Uh, wanted to remind you uh, a couple weeks ago. Bye, guys. See ya. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Poland at this uh, conference called European Leadership Forum. And uh, uh, there were 800 of us at the conference. There were over 40 countries represented. And um, I spent uh, time uh, every breakfast and every dinner for that week uh, meeting with uh, a young person who is trying to figure out how to do uh, ministry. They're all bivocational, so they have day jobs, plus they're trying to plan a church or they're working for the missions, a missions organization doing something. And, and so our, we, we met together to encourage them, to support them. And then I would do workshops uh, during the day, just helping them uh, grow their ministry, think about their own uh, walk with Christ while they're in the middle of such crazy times and busy times. And, and so it's really a powerful time, real privilege to be part of it. And, and there was a, one gentleman that spoke, uh, he did a Bible study every morning for the whole group. And uh, he, he, his name was Ramez Atala. He's from Egypt. He's been in charge of the International Bible Society of Egypt for um, probably 30 or 40 years. Uh, just this wonderful, godly guy. And he was telling us this story about uh, a place outside of Cairo that call, was called The Dump. And uh, the dump, people actually lived. It was the dump for Cairo, and people actually lived there, and they survived by, by scavenging from the trash that other people would leave. And so you'd see children that were going through the trash, uh, other children going to get water for their families, uh, and they existed uh, in this dump. And he was sharing about his wife, uh, who for 35 years has gone twice a week to the dump just to love people in the name of Jesus. For 35 years, she's been going. She, she went and, and just started to try to share the love of Christ with people, and, and through that, uh, another missionary, another person joined her, and they began to care for these people, and they looked, after a little while, they, they looked at what was going on, they thought, these kids need an education, so uh, they started providing an education, started providing school for them. Uh, the next thing, as they, they planted a church, and as it grew, and as people uh, became followers of Jesus, the education grew, all of this stuff started happening, and, and they transformed this dump into this place that people come to experience Christ. People come to see the miracle that's happened there over the last 35 years, and, uh, and they wanted people to see this. And so uh, one of the other things that he shared with us was that there was uh, um, some years ago, I think it was around 2015, uh, there were 21 Christians from this area uh, that were captured by ISIS and, and beheaded for their faith in Christ, uh, for their refusal to deny Jesus. They lost their lives. And on the Cairo news, the most famous newsman in Egypt um, was there, and they sent a woman to this, this other woman's house, a, a news reporter of this woman's house. She interviewed them. Uh, talk to them, and uh, we, we, I want to show you a little bit of the interview, and, and while you're watching the interview, and, and you're going to have to look closely because the, the translation is on the bottom of the screen. I'll try to get out of the way, but 
I want you to pay attention to what she's saying, but also to watch this newscaster. He's the most famous newscaster in Egypt, and he's also a Muslim. Let's watch this. Do you get this picture? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, sometimes we think about what's going on around us. We, we think about our country. We think about the culture. We think about so many things, and, and we're discouraged, and we think things are getting worse and worse and worse. But, but I felt like what this video does is it reminds us of how big God is, that when we think things are getting really bad, that God is alive and active in Egypt, that there are people in Egypt who love Jesus, who are growing in their faith, whose lives are being changed. There's, an, there, there, there's a Muslim newscaster who's trying to get his brain around what he's just seen and what he's experienced because he has no context for this. He has no way to understand this except that these people are made of a different substance. There's something about them that, that it, they love their country. He's saying, well, you know what? They love Jesus. And God is so big and God is so powerful. And, and there are times in our lives that we need to be reminded of that because God gets too small for us and, and we get so caught up with what's going on around us that, that we need to be reminded that he is so big, that he's doing things that are, that's so great, that's so big, that he is all of that. And we're gonna look at that this morning because I couldn't help when I got home to stumble onto this article I thought was just this amazing contrast of what you just saw on the video. It's, a, it's titled A Sign of the Times and it says that maybe it's a sign of our culture that people, listen, that people are taking so many selfies that they're getting selfie wrist. Did you catch that? Selfie wrist. That, <laughs> Uh, Tina Choi, 29, works in a digital media, promo digital media promotion, and she says that uh, a, su a successful selfie can raise the profile and the income of her clients. Choi believes that selfies are an effective way of sharing a sense of yourself. It's really about telling a story, where you're at, what you're doing, how active you are, Choi said. But all of the selfie taking started causing tingling in her fingers and her wrist and later discomfort. After a few months, she said that she felt a sharp pain in the corner of her wrist and, and it would actually prevent her from working. It's a form of carpal tunnel because of this hyperflexion of the wrist appears to be the cause. That we have, a, we have an illness now from taking selfies. That we've created this diabolical problem in our health world uh, because of selfies, because we're hyperflexing to try to get just the right angle for the shot. Uh, Dr. Levi Harrison, an orthopedic surgeon, he said the problem begins with patients constantly, uh, when con patients constantly hyperflex their wrists inwards in a rush to capture the perfect angle. Harrison showed her exercises to do just for minutes a day. After a few weeks, her pain improved, and now she takes much safer selfies. <laughs> That's the nature of our generation right now, she said. We're taking so many selfies. And you know what it says to me? I mean, it's just weird to me, but I'm old. But, but we all want to be known, right? We all want to be known. And there's just this interesting phenomenon that comes with taking selfies that, that I want to be known, I want people to see me, but I, I, I want to control how they see me. I want to control what I look like. I, I want to control the message that, that comes across. And, and so we have this whole thing now with uh, selfies and, and all the other, you know, social media stuff that we're, we're promoting ourselves, we're selling ourselves. We, we, we want to be known, but somehow we want the people to know the we that we want known, right? The, 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 the me that I want people to see. 
and we work at that, but what happens when we can't control it? What happens when people see us for, for really who we are and, and what we're really like? Maybe that's the greatest fear that most of us have, and we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at a story out of the Gospel of St. John, the fourth chapter. It's a story that a lot of you have heard before, but I, I want you just to do me a favor and pretend that it's brand new for you. It's about a woman who meets Jesus. It's the longest discourse between two people in all of the scripture, and hopefully we're going to find ourselves somewhere in this story. Listen in on the conversation that Jesus has with this woman. Verse 1 says this, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had uh, heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, he's referring to John the Baptist, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired uh, as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So here we have this scene that Jesus is walking with his disciples. Um, he is heading from Judea, which is in the south part, up to the north, Galilee, which actually is in Israel. And the, between them, we've got a map here, is this place called Samaria. Samaria is famous to a lot of people because it's just stuck right between the southern part of Judah and the northern part of Israel. And right there, there's Samaria. Samaria is famous because at one point, the Assyrians came in and they conquered this region and they took a lot of the Jews away from Samaria. They brought in Babylonians and others. They tried to mix the two cultures. Uh, so they intermarried. They became, you know, they, they became uh, part Jew, part something else. The Assyrians had lots of gods that they worshiped. And so basically what they did is they, they just kind of plopped the God of Israel right in the middle on top of all the other gods and sort of said we'll just cover all of them and because of that the Jews felt like that they were uh, that, that, that they were unclean uh, that they were uh, traitors uh, that, that they weren't religious they, they weren't holy enough and there was conflict there was even bloodshed over the centuries between Jews and Samaritans and so we have this great conflict and you can see that if you're going from Judea whereas Jerusalem Ephraim here uh, the hard green line goes up into Galilee. So that's the most natural, the most direct route. You can see Jacob's well right there in the middle, uh, Sychar nearby. But if you, were, uh, if you were really orthodox, if you were really a conservative Jew, you wouldn't step foot into Samaria because you would consider yourself unclean if you stepped foot into that vile place. So you would actually see the dotted line. You'd actually walk three days out of your way around Samaria so that you wouldn't have to step foot into that country. And Jesus walks right through. Uh, he walks right through because he's on a mission. He has an appointment at Jacob's well. Now, John wants us to get a perspective on this, so he mentions uh, one of the patriarchs. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament. Go back to Genesis. You can find them really easily, and, and he's there, and, and so it's near a plot of land. It's called Jacob's Well that he gave to his son Joseph. So Jacob is a really prominent guy, and then he has all of these sons, and Joseph is one of them. Joseph goes into show business, and he has the coat of the dream coat. Not really, I'm kidding. 
but he does have a coat of many colors. He's famous for that. So if you read about the last third of Genesis, you'll, you'll find all of this stuff about Joseph there um, and, uh, and, and his story. And so he's really an important person. And, and so John wants to give us a context for this story. Now, Jesus is at this well, and I love this. He's walking through. It's a hot day. He gets to the well. He's tired. He's thirsty. He sits down at the well, and a woman shows up. Verse 7 says this, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. They had, they had been sent into Sychar to buy food. Uh, Jesus sits down at the well. In verse 9, the woman says to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So here we have the scene. Jesus sits down at the well. This woman comes all by herself at about noon to draw water. Jesus asks her for a drink, and she's astounded at that. Not only is she astounded, but she's intrigued. Why would you talk to me? There are two strikes against her right in the very beginning. The first is that she's a, a Samaritan, and Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jews don't speak to Samaritans. Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. Samaritans are outcasts. They're rebels. They don't count in Jewish life, and she's a woman, and if you're a, if you're a traditional Jewish man, you won't speak in public to a woman that's not your wife or your sister, and so Jesus kind of breaks all of those taboos, and he asks this woman for a drink. It's really interesting because here's the guy who invented water, right? He created all of this, and still he stops at the well, and he asks her for a drink, and he starts this conversation with her on her terms. It's about water. That's what she's there for. She's got a bucket and a rope. She can get the water. Jesus says, can you help me out? I need a drink. It's a hot day. I'm tired and thirsty. And, and she's astounded by this. And a conversation begins. Well, I found this other article that I read this week about this, this is my generation. So millennials, all the things that you feel like you get blamed for, you can blame us. It's about yuppies in the 1990s. You, you, you remember them, right? You remember that phrase? Young, upwardly mobile professionals, how arrogant we were. We thought we were that. I came across an ex excerpt from a marketing newsletter. It was aimed at the baby boom generation, and it said this, that yuppies have now become known as the Moss generation. The Moss generation, M-O-S-S. -S. It says they're, they're middle-aged, overstressed, more overstressed than overworked, by the way, uh, semi-affluent suburbanites. I'll say that again. Middle-aged, overstressed, semi-affluent, suburbanites. It's a thrilling uh, definition, isn't it? So a typical Moss, according to this newsletter in the 90s, was 41 years old, working on second marriage, had 2.0 biological and 0.5 stepchildren, owns at least one publication on cholesterol, and is affluent but doesn't feel that way. <laughs> and for you folks that are younger, you're welcome. We, we, passed, we passed that on to you. But there's another word that you could use for moss. It's thirsty. That a, this woman came to the well that day because she was thirsty, because she needed water. She thought that it was H2O. She thought it was liquid water that she needed. But what she's going to meet on this day is the living water. 
she's going to encounter Jesus, something that she never thought. And, and that's what really happens to us because we have a thirst that water can't satisfy. We have a thirst in our lives that, that we don't understand and we think it's all kinds of things. But only Jesus can satisfy it. Here, here's a woman that comes to the well alone in the middle of the day. Now, there are only two reasons that she would have done that. She comes to the well that day um, because either she's been ostracized by all of the other women in her village and they won't allow her to come with them because typically if you were living in Sychar, you would, all the ladies would get together and they would go early in the morning in the cool of the day and, and they would all take their buckets and their ropes and they would go down and they would share the latest news and, and they would talk about the latest gossip and they had the social time while they got their water and then they would all go back to their homes for the day and, and then in the cool of the evening, uh, they might come back and, and do the same thing over again. They'd have a conversation, they'd share all the news, what's happened, how the kids and all that kind of stuff. Up, and then they would go back and it was kind of not only a, a work experience that they had getting water for their families but it was also a social experience but she's excluded from this she's either been ostracized or she's so filled with shame that she doesn't want to go when everybody else goes because she feels horrible about herself she feels shameful about something in her life and Jesus engages her in this conversation and he says to her she says well sir um, <clears throat> why are you talking to me and, and Jesus said I, I need a, a drink and she said well here here's water but Jesus said to her if you knew who you were talking to you'd ask me for living water and you'd never be thirsty again and she's still thinking about the liquid, and she says, that seems like a great idea because it's embarrassing to come here. If I, could, if I could get your living water and never have to come again, I wouldn't have to go through this embarrassment. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, sign me up for that. And Jesus is going to help her understand, no, this is something really different. This is something that you aren't expecting. This is something bigger than you could ever imagine. And so Jesus does something really intentional now. He gets personal with her. And when we come into contact with Jesus, some, at some point, it always gets personal. And in verse 16, Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. And she, she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. The, the truth is you've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now isn't your husband. <laughs> Oops. Jesus is saying, I know, the very, I know the th where your shame comes from. I, I know the deepest, hardest part of your whole life. I know the most painful thing about you. I know the thing that when you take a selfie, you don't want anybody to see, that you're going to try to hide, that, that has caused you so much pain. I see that. I already know that, and I'm still here. I haven't, I haven't rejected you. I haven't walked away from you in disgust, but I'm still standing here. And one of the lessons that I want us to walk away with this morning is that you, you can't hide your heart from God. He already knows you. He knows the deepest. He knows the darkest secrets in your life. He understands all of that, and he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still, he's still standing there in front of you. He's still inviting you into a relationship. He's saying, I know all the pain in your life. I know all of the shame in your life, and I'm still here. I still love you. I still want a relationship with you. 
That's who I am. It's really hard for us sometimes, isn't it, to get our hearts and our minds around that, that, that God could love me in spite of me. He could love me in spite of the shame that I have, in spite of all the things that I've done, in spite of how I feel about myself, that he would still be there, that he would still love me. Jesus is standing there with her. He's saying, I know everything about you, and I'm still here. And what her response is is so awesome because it's so me. Here's what she does. She just, all of a sudden, you hear the brakes. And she makes this hard left, and she thinks, whoa, this is way too personal. I'm going to change the subject. Have you ever done that? Have you ever found yourself in a, in a situation where the conversation just gets too personal and, and too awkward, and, and the only thing you can think is, how do I change the subject? How do I move us on to something that's safe? How do I move us on to something that's more neutral, that, that I can kind of end this conversation and, and get on with, with my life? And, and Jesus brings out that hard stuff in her life, and, and she makes this really hard left and tries to get away from it. She says, yeah, okay, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> I can see that there's something really special about you. But, you know, our, our ancestors, our ancestors worshiped in Gerizim on a mountain. We have a, we have a, we, we have a temple on that mount that, that we worship in, and, and your people all worship in Jerusalem, and, and you say that's the holy place where you encounter God, and, and so really, we're kind of all in this, and, and, but we have our place of worship, and, and you have your place of worship, and we don't connect those things, and, and so can we just kind of move on, and here's your water, and can we stop this conversation? <laughs> can we change the subject a little bit? Because this is too close to home. This is exposing a little too m- more of my life than I am comfortable with, that I, I want to do. But it, it always gets personal with Jesus. He always exposes us. He always allows us to see who we are on the inside to remind us of how deeply, how desperately we need him. That's where the woman is. And so here's Jesus' response to her. He, he, he says that... Uh, <coughs> Yeah, I get it that you guys worship in one place and we worship in another place, but that's not what really matters here. He says, you know what, it's not about where you worship. It's not about how you worship. It's about who you worship. That's what's really gonna matter. That, that you, can, you, can, you can worship on Mount Gerizim and that's fine and we'll worship in Jerusalem, that's all, but that's not really the issue here. And you know what? You might sing with your hands in your pockets and you might sing with your hands in the air and it's really not about how you do it. It's not about whether you sing traditional hymns or sing contemporary worship songs. It's not about that. It's about who you worship. It's about who we come to. It's about who we focus on. So if you come here on Sunday mornings, you'll notice something if you pay attention that we always sing songs that we call vertical songs. We always sing songs that give praise and honor to Christ, that we always want our music to focus on him, that we want to lift him up. We want to get our eyes off of ourselves and back on to Jesus, that that's part of what we do. And then we come to a time like the offering, and the offering is an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm holding on to things too tightly. I need to trust Christ. 
I, I need, he, he, the Bible says that where, uh, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Where's my heart today, Lord? I want it back on you. And that's why we give. That's why we celebrate. That's why we call uh, the offering part of our worship experience. And then we come to our times in the word. And it's a time that we get refocused back on Jesus. And we get reminded that it's about him, that we focus on who he is. It's one of the reasons that I get to use my gift of repetition. I'm just gonna keep talking about Jesus until we understand that it's really about him. It's not about what we do. It's not about where we do it, but it's about who we worship. It's about where our hearts and our minds are focused. And so Jesus says in verse 23, yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. The Father is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's what worship is all about. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish. It's getting our eyes off ourselves, get, getting our eyes off of the, uh, you know, what we're trying to, our, our image management, what we're trying to get people to see about us, our, our, our church selfies that we have, our religious selfies that we try to take to, to make people feel like that we're, that we're more than we're not when we know on the inside that there's shame and, and there's pain and all of those things. And, and Jesus is saying, let's just get it all out on the table because that's what I came for. I came to forgive you. I came to heal you. I came to show you how much I love you. Let's focus on those things. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's about being honest uh, with the stuff in our lives, not trying to change the subject, not trying to get away from it. So maybe, I don't know, do you see yourself in this story somewhere? How, How we've lived our lives a little bit. And why we worship, why worship is so important to us. So I'm gonna tell you what worship is not. Worship is not a pep rally. Worship is not where we go to get pumped up. But worship is where we come to get refocused, to get realigned, to get our eyes back on Jesus. That's why we worship. And that's why anything can be worship. Music, there's something about music that's so powerful that gets our heart and our mind back where it belongs, back on Jesus, that lifts us above the circumstances in our lives. But you can worship, you know, at work, cleaning the house, wherever it is, as as long as your heart and your mind can get above your circumstances, get above all your other stuff and focus on Jesus, that it's about lifting him up. It's about seeing him for who he is. It's a celebration of who Jesus is. It's refocusing on what is true and what matters. It's giving Jesus honor and the recognition that he deserves. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, uh, he he says, therefore, because of who Jesus is, because of what he did on the cross, because he humbled himself and became obedient, therefore God has exalted him, that God has placed the name of Jesus above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You wanna know what worship is? It's recognizing who Jesus is. It's recognizing that he's the exalted one, that his name is above every name, that at his name every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is worship. And that's what we're about. That's what Jesus is calling this woman to. That's what he's calling us to. Everybody has to live for something. Everybody worships something. 
There's an article by uh, another uh, American writer and intellectual. His name is David Foster Wallace. Wallace was at the top of his profession. He was an award-winning, best-selling novelist who committed suicide in 2008. But before his death, he gave a famous commencement address in which he said this to the graduating class. Because here is something else that is true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning into life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need... Uh, ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Anything else that we worship, anything else that we give our lives to is gonna, is gonna fall apart sooner or later. That, that what worship is about is putting, getting our lives reoriented, getting our lives refocused on who Jesus is, how big he is, how great he is, what he has for us. And again, we get so caught up on what worship looks like and where we do it and how we do it, but it's who we worship that really matters. I've got one more video for us this morning that uh, comes uh, from, the, uh, from the garbage town that I, I showed you, uh, that, they, uh, that they put the word out that they were inviting everybody to this place. They had a place called the caves that they would come for worship and So they put the word out that there was gonna be a prayer night and invited people to show up. And 25,000 people showed up just outside of Cairo, Egypt. And here's what happened in that night is that they all got together and they, they, they just were so excited, they were so thrilled that for 10 minutes, they stood and they called one name. For 10 minutes, they were standing on their feet calling out one name, and that name is Jesus. Watch this. I don't know, what do you think? If we stood for the next 10 minutes, and just shout at the top of our lungs, Jesus, you'd feel weird, wouldn't you? We're so inhibited. We'd be worried about what other people think. We'd be worried about being considered fanatics. Uh, we, we, we'd, be, we'd be worried about being foolish. And yet these people in Egypt who have been persecuted for hundreds of years, people in years, Egypt who have endured so many things, they are so, they are so excited about Jesus. They're so grateful for what Christ has done in their lives that they would spontaneously stand and for 10 minutes that's all they do is shout Jesus at the top of their lungs and in praise and in worship. That's what worship looks like and I wish we could live our lives more like them. Uh, maybe we need to go visit those guys. Maybe they need to send a few missionaries to to us so that we can see what it's really like to to lift our voices, to to be so transparent, to be so grateful for who Jesus is that that we would just stand on our feet and shout his name. So let's just take a few minutes and let's worship a little bit more together. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, 
We wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So the story in John 4 continues for a little bit that the disciples come back. They've gone to get, get food and, and now they're back and they, they uh, try to get Jesus to eat lunch. It's time for lunch and Jesus says, I have food that you don't understand, that my food is to do the will of the Father. You see, the disciples had the same problem. Even They should have known better, but they had the same problem with the, as the woman. She thought that the, the need was was water. She thought it was about water. And the disciples are focused on, we, we, we were sent to town to get food, and it's about having food. And Jesus says, no, there's something bigger than that. I, I want to get your eyes off of what's right in front of you. I want to get your eyes on something higher and something greater. And, and you know, that's kind of how we live so often in our lives, that we're so focused on what's in front of us. We're so focused on the task at hand. We're so focused on what we think that we need to do. And then we come on Sundays, and, and our eyes get lifted up and refocused and reoriented on Jesus and we're reminded of what really matters. We're reminded of where life is really lived, and it's lived in Jesus. Well, the disciples were trying to learn that, but the woman, she had forgotten her water, and she runs into the city, and she runs into Sychar, and she starts telling everybody, come and see the, the man that's told me everything about me, the worst things in my life, and, and still loves me. Tell, come and see the man that's changed everything about me on the inside, and all the people from the village, they're astounded. Uh, here's a woman that's scorned and, and left out, and all of a sudden, they're flocking out to see what's happened to her, and, and they encounter Jesus, and the last lines in the story say that now, that the, all the people said, well, we don't believe you now because of what the woman said, but we've heard Jesus for ourselves. We've experienced Jesus for ourselves, and, and now we believe. And part of worship, what worship does for us is it gets our eyes off ourselves, puts our eyes back onto Jesus, and that we can then bring people, and they can experience Christ. And it's not about us. It's about seeing him. It's about come and see what Jesus has done in my life. See who he is. Get my eyes off of all the stuff that keeps me from living life and focusing on him. Well, we have prayer partners this morning as always. Love to pray with you. And also our prayer table. And if you're a guest this morning, we have a, a prayer table and you can write your prayer requests down and, and we'll pray for you during the week and we'll commit those things to prayer as a staff and as a prayer team and invite you, any of you, regulars, visitors, anybody to feel free to take advantage of those prayers and being prayed for. And my prayer is simply this, that we will experience worship, not in where we are, what we do, but in who we worship. That our eyes will be lifted up to see Jesus. That we'll be reminded that he already knows all the shame in our lives. He already knows all the darkest, the most painful things in our lives, and he's still there. He still invites us into a relationship with him. And that we'll, we'll experience that forgiveness, we'll experience that love, we'll experience the relationship that Christ offers us. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, 
and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.